This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Brooklinen. With Brooklinen.com, you can get the high-quality sheets and bedding you deserve at a price that won't keep you up at night. To get $20 off your order and free shipping, go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN. That's a $20 off your order and free shipping by going to brooklinen.com and use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Today's show is also sponsored by Hubble. Get quality daily contact lenses for half the price of the other guys. Go to hubblecontacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. Go to hubblecontacts.com to get your first two weeks of free contacts right now. And then lastly, the show is sponsored by Movement. That's M-V-M-T. It's time to step up your watch game with classic designs and quality construction starting at just $95. Right now, our listeners get 15% off their entire order with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash bcpod. That's mvmt.com slash bcpod for 15% off your order. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Joey, are you ready? Was that a good Toby impersonation? That was a pretty good impression. Now just take it All right. Yeah, I'm ready. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. All right. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Joey. In case you, I tell you what, it's nice. Without Toby being here, we can just slowly in, introduce the show and get, you know, stuff out of the way up top and have it nice and organized without some interrupting joke about you or your depression or your fatness. I or think whatever. we've got a guaranteed five minutes of PG podcast. Yeah, I think so too. I think we've got right. at least five minutes of PG. So, in case you didn't pick up on it, everybody, Toby is on vacation, which, as far as I know, is. The first one he's ever taken in his life. <laughs> first one, I mean, I think he just figured at some point you got to do something. He hears everybody else taking vacations. And I also heard something. from a third party somewhere that, that, that his wife didn't even, wasn't even excited about it. <laughs> like, it's not, like, she's the same as him. I don't think she wants to even do it either. I don't think either one of them want to. They just figured you got to do something sometime. <laughs> I, could just, I could just hear Toby either talking to himself or talking to like you or something and be like, I mean, I, I guess at some point you just have to do this sort of yeah, thing. Right. I mean, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but I mean, we've kind of saved. And what's what's so crazy is like they're going to be riding down the road and they're going to see something like uh, arcade, all you can play for $10. And he's going to probably sit in the parking lot for an hour deciding whether or not that's something that oh, yeah. the kids should do. <laughs> yeah. Now I understand the impulse too. I, I went camping with the family this weekend and I just could not stop thinking about leading up to it, how much easier and better it would be to just not go. Like <laughs> all we got to do is not go and it'll be, it'll be so good. We'll just be at home. Anyway, we had a great time and I hope Toby has a great time. I think it's needed. I think it's great. I also could take this opportunity to pat ourselves on the back for, again, we don't take time off. We don't miss a show. We're almost at 300 episodes. We've never rerun. We've never missed. I mean, that's just, I, I'm, I love it. So, Toby. That is crazy. Oh, we got three point. hosts, so we ought to be able to let one or two right. of us take a vacation once and again. 
Yeah, at this point, we've—I don't think we've ever even released an old episode. Which no. honestly, we've got some I think good people, ones. Yeah, we'll do people it are eventually. being robbed. I mean, there's some things that we probably should start resurfacing again. Yeah, I reserve I the know. right to take a week off, all of us, if we want to. But in any case, I'm proud that we've—you uh, know, there's so many podcasts. They just don't. Most podcasts just don't make it to any significant amount of episodes like most of them do under 10 and they just oh everybody's like, i want to do a podcast they do a two or three they go okay and then they do seven and they're like all right and then it's like that's that's almost every podcast uh really. proves so. that it proves that we have answered a calling uh, it's like clearly there, a calling you're right there's a specific calling there and we've just been hey we've been following marching orders from the great i am so the calling just... has been verified at 300 episodes it's a bona fide actually oh yeah yeah for sure we get a little check so, mark, like on twitter so for any conservative christians that come on here and say we're just outlandish and and the things that we're saying Look at the fruit. The numbers are going through the roof. This is God. God's hand is in this. That's what they say about like Trump, right? Like how? Obviously, God blesses her. It wouldn't still be going, right? (laughs) Clear. But I mean, God has put these people in these places. Who are you to say they should? (laughs) I mean, at some point, you have to recognize the the flawed philosophy there it's just like well i mean look at the numbers of the holocaust you know god was behind that that's ludicrous i, know, I mean course, that's yeah. insane but uh, absolutely but speaking of conservative christians uh you know it's weird when you say that because there's a great amount of my life where i would have self-identified myself as conservative christian and i don't yeah. anymore and it's super bizarre to hear it come out of your mouth that you don't even because I always thought, <laughs> well, you know, conservative. Even when I doubt my conservatism for Christianity or evangelicalism, I was like, well, Joey, he's the guy yeah. that is this, that, whatever. I was the one you guys were going to count on. Yeah, I was you gonna always keep you guys on. grounded. <laughs> yeah. So it's weird to hear it come out of your mouth when you reference evangelicals or conservative Christians in a way that makes them sound like not you, which is quite interesting. And that's kind of what we'll discuss in this episode today. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like I want to give people just a. a I don't like over-reflecting or telling people what we're telling them or or what's going on, but there is a sense in which we this podcast is meant to explore stuff it is to open your eyes to stuff it, it there is more intention in what we do than probably often comes across but even that is relatively intentional i believe that keeping things light and fun and sense of humor and non-explicit and complex is the the best way to respect other people to let them form their opinions to spread and share information that's really important and the more i think about it collecting information and then disseminating it to other people is i just don't think of a much more important project than that especially if you are confident enough in ideas the economy ideas and sharing ideas to where you're not necessarily trying to over guide the outcome or the takeaways and so yeah what we wanted to do today is something that's very very much in that vein. It occurs to me that it's really insane these days how people can watch the same uh, tape, footage, piece of media, interview, video, whatever it is, and have amazingly different reactions to it like they like like sometimes i'll see something on the news and go they'll say can you believe how bad this was or how dumb this was or how horrible and i'll watch it and go 
I think that person, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the very same clip is not a, a different edit or a different article or anything. And I think that speaks something to where we're at these days. And no matter what, when you feel somebody's overly heavy hand of posturing or trying to make you, force you to have a single takeaway, or it, it almost feels insulting when people talk down to you, like, I've got it figured out. Now, here I am to explain it to you. Here's the commentary yeah. that will illuminate it for you or make it practical in your life. I, I find that more and more distasteful as time goes yeah. on. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm breaking a rule here. Or I'm breaking the Matt Carter rule as far as don't talk about your own podcast on your own podcast. Yeah, it gets but a little I weird. But I really, I really do think this is something that attracts our listeners, or let me put it this way, maintains listeners that we wouldn't normally keep around. And that is, it doesn't take a while to, once you start listening to an episode of Bad Christian, a, a lot of times you're going to be like, okay, this is a little out of the box. This is a little unorthodox. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm not sure what these guys are about. But I think what separates us from a lot of podcasts that would maybe take the slant that we're taking is you actually said before we were just talking, um, you and I just a second ago, and you said, what? What if we, the three of us, are wrong with some of our progressive uh, thought inclinations and someone like Alyssa is right, mm -hmm. and you were not joking around? No, that was like I'm a not. real question that you posed, and I think that may be what a lot of people want to be a part of, and that is just not coming down so hard on black and right. white and being so black and white on stuff that you really have no business being so black and white on. No, that's a good don't. point. I, I, to be clear, I think her point is extremely, just obviously goofy. That's I, I, what I think. Now, right. unless she's right, in which case I'm in big trouble, which I right. acknowledge fully is, uh, is de definitely possible. And if, she's, if I'm wrong and she's right, I'm in trouble. I get that. <laughs> But I don't. I, I think it's obviously. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. There'll be many people that's going to listen to this interview that you did with Alyssa, and I, hopefully, I'm saying her name right. I apologize if I'm not. That will have a takeaway that she has a lot of stuff right, or she's totally right, and that is right. totally okay with me. Don't let me overguide that. But hear me. Like thank, as, thank God, someone finally told those guys. Right, that's fine. What they and needed and to maybe hear. some stuff she says does affect me or impact me, and I'm, I'm sure it impacts you. And sometimes it reinforces what you thought, and sometimes you go, well. I, that is actually less clear than I thought, and that may be a good point. But that's right. the point is to, oh, I saw a comment yesterday on the internet that destroyed me. It was somebody put up an article from Sean King, who I, yeah. and they said, and shared the article. And the other person said, I don't like Sean King, something, blah, 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 blah. But I read the article, and it was about Thomas Jefferson owning slaves and some hor horrific stuff that he was a part of. And I, to be clear, I don't like Sean King. Very much. Yeah. I find him. Not, I find him on the type that is like a little bit more overly dramatic and causing some conflict that may be done. I don't think it's the best method. But I read his article. There was information in it that was interesting and useful to me. And I often read stuff that he writes because it it helps me understand the world and other people and stuff like that. And this particular one let me in on a bunch of new information that colored the way I think about things. Anyway, this other person responds to the comment, I don't like him, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're saying before you read the information coming from somebody who presented it, you've already decided not only that you don't like it, you're already not going to agree with it. And probably just because of the fact that he put this information out there, you're going to go ahead and develop counter 
narrative to that, like anti that. Like you're going to go ahead and take the opposite side based on who the presenter of the information is, not the information. That freaks me out. That is not right. I don't want to do that. I don't want other people to do that. This is a big problem for us. So I want to give all due respect and credit to people like Alyssa, who I, I, do, I think her point of view is on the goofy side. I think it's kind of just an anti-culture, safe Christian thing that that is relatively, in my view, immature, relatively. Uh, but again, could be wrong. So listen to her information. Yeah. Don't prejudge that based on what I'm telling you, even though I know I've yeah. poisoned the well slightly by setting it up. But nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the the main thing that I took after this conversation is I do, given what I know about our listeners and how a lot of them think, a lot of you will probably be super frustrated, if not angry, by the conversation. And... What I would say about that is I truly believe that she carried out her beliefs in the most loving, patient way as possible. And if she believes how she believes, what else can we ask for? So in other words, I I just want to challenge all of us to, I guess, have patience and grace for people that we would write off as being judgmental Mm -hmm. and um legalistic and and recognize no wait a second there's a reason for why they believe what they believe now if if she was coming a- across very condescending arrogant calling me uh you know a, a wolf in sheep's clothing and all that stuff then i think people could have some grounds for saying man this woman is just out of line but you found her respectful I did. Mm-hmm. I totally found yep. her respectable, and I, I, I just respectful, and that, that's. I think that at that point, that's when what people believe just needs to kind of be open to mm-hmm. conversation. Now, does that mean that we say, "Well, this person's a racist"? That's just how they are. No, we need to challenge those notions. But the but notions think, not poison the idea of the, who the person yes, is, right? Yes. So ideas gotcha. are bad. Sometimes good people have bad ideas. That doesn't, For sure. To hold a bad idea doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. Don't do not confuse that. But right. in any case, we put out an episode a little while back that was talking about us becoming progressive, and we only label that ourselves that way in reaction to what we seem to not be, which would be overly conservative, and the fact that our ideas do progress over time and change as Christians, and we think that's a good thing. Blah blah blah. Well, the show, and that was based on this article by Alyssa Childers. I'll give you her website. It's A L I S A C H I L D E R S. Alyssa Childers dot com. She wrote a blog post uh, called Five. I'm sorry, I've got it right here. I want to get it right. It's Five Signs Your Church Might Be Heading Toward Progressive Christianity. And that's what inspired our episode. It's a few episodes ago if you want to go back. And it's one of our biggest episodes for some reason, I guess because it resonates with people what we're going through. But this article inspired it. And so then Joey hooks her up, you know, hooks it up, calls her, tweets or whatever he does and you do a one-on-one with her here for that's another you know hour long and i think it's so great your skill when you do people one-on-one i think you do a terrific job with that and i think this conversation should be interesting to hear you directly uh have a relatively challenging conversation with somebody that you obviously disagree with we make whole episodes about what how we disagree but you do it really well you are respectful Big props to you, big props to her for doing this and keeping it under control instead of just becoming belligerent or disagreeing or platforming or doing all that crap. So good job. I think everybody will get a lot out of this interview. 
here's the thing. First of all, let me just put a little bug in a lot of you guys' ears that uh, there's if if your wife or girlfriend is anywhere close to how mine is, an updated sheet set is an upgrade to your life. The right sheets, yes, I said sheets, bed sheets, bedding, can make or break a good night's sleep and help you feel better and more well-rested every day. Even though quality sheets, this is something we got to remember, even though quality sheets make for quality sleep, most high-end bedding is marked up by more than 300% by the time it reaches the store. Brooklinen... The company that I'm talking about right now makes quality luxury sheets and bedding accessible to everyone. So a lot of us agree we need good bedding, we need comfortable beds, but what we don't recognize is that you're paying too much money in the store. So Brooklinen was founded in April 2014 by husband and wife team Vicky and Rich Fallop on the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury price. And here we are a few years later, and Brooklinen is the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You have to try these sheets today. So I love my Brooklinen sheets, uh, my wife uh, as well. Uh, Try these sheets and I know you'll love them too. So go to brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. And they have an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code BADCHRISTIAN. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love these new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try. So one more time, get the $20 off and free shipping. Use promo code BADCHRISTIAN at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Best sheets ever. Um. Well, I actually uh, you'll you'll get <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. So I'm I'm a pastor at uh, a church that I, I think I think you'd probably uh, fit in just just the little bit that I've read, and uh, I'm I'm making some guesses here. Well, we my wife and I, uh, with our pastor's permission, we also started a house church on Sunday night. But there's a girl in our house church that. We uh we operate off of an app called Slack. She posts your blog posts and like this is just the biggest bunch of bullshit. I just can't <laughs> believe this and all. And so I, what was crazy is I was reading it, and I was like, man, this this is exactly where I was four years ago. And so I think if I'm not mistaken, you would probably put me in a category of like progressive Christianity. And what's, what's interesting about that is I'm only stuck with my relationship with God, my prayers and and all that sort of thing. So it actually feels very, it, it feels like super unfamiliar territory to almost be in the category of people that you're warning other people about. And I totally, like I said, I'm, I'm starting with saying, I understand yeah. your your post and where you're coming from 
But just from a personal perspective, like I know that I know that I know that I want to do God's will. And when I say God, I'm thinking the Trinity, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. And, but a lot of the stuff that you wrote are the very things that I'm rethinking, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, have you come into contact with people that you, in your heart of hearts are like, yeah, they're a Christian, but man, they're just way off or... Well, I, let me start by saying that I wouldn't categorize you uh, as anything because I really don't know anything yeah, yeah. about you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And in my experience with the progressive church, typically, um, I mean, this is the difficult thing with putting names on things. Right. Is there are going to be people that, there are probably people in the progressive church that would even call themselves progressive Christians yeah. that hold to historic Christian faith, but they're just, they're doubting, they're, they're trying to figure stuff out. Right. Um, they're maybe have some different views on some things, but that's the, the core of it is there. Yeah. Um, th- those aren't so much the people I'm talking about. I'm yeah. talking about the progressive church. That's very vocal on the internet. That's mm-hmm. very, that's got a big following the John Pavlovitz is of, you know, and I'm not judging his soul or anything. I'm just saying he's defining it himself. What right. progressive Christian Brian McLaren has, defined what what that is and um so the 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 point of the post is for christians who are at a church because i've had so many people come to me as i've started my blog and say you know i've i've heard some things at my church should i be concerned about this or or what do you think about this and so because i and and i'll maybe if you'll allow me i'll tell the story kind of behind the where the post came from in a second but the post is really not in its in in my heart, an attack on the progressive church or on people. Yeah, um, I have full respect for people who are investigating their faith and coming to different beliefs or, or whatever. But there are a lot of Christians whose churches are tending to go that way, and they aren't really. They don't know how to spot it. Yeah, and they don't necessarily want to be in a progressive church. You know, yeah. which I think would be good for us to maybe define what that means at some point, so we're not talking about two different things. Right. But, I think the important thing that that probably needs to be said is that this post really starts with a story, and it's my story, right. where I, uh, several years ago, uh, and I, I just touched on this in the blog, but there's there's a lot of, you know, deep things that happened in, during that time. My husband, I was leading worship, and so they asked me to come sing at this church, and my husband and I just fell in love with it. We, yeah. we uh, I was kind of sick of the... Of course, I wasn't really raised in a real fundamentalist, legalistic environment, so right. I wasn't reacting so much against that. But I was seeing some things that, you know, conservatives were saying, and, and yeah. I was like, man, that doesn't seem right, and that doesn't seem like the spirit of Jesus. And so I was sort of going, there's got to be something that we're missing, you know, as an as evangelical church or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so when we went to this church, I was like, oh, I, this is it. We loved it. And yeah. we loved the pastor. He's an intellect, and he uh, would just bring these amazing insights to Scripture and was just this outside-the-box thinker. And so uh, after a bit of time went by, I was invited to kind of be a part of this, uh, I don't really know what to call it, but it was like an inner circle-type study group where we were really going to be digging into some some things and figuring out you know, some some things. And so it was in that scenario that the pastor revealed his true beliefs about yeah. that he was basically an agnostic and that, um, you know, he, he laid out the sort of fundamentals of the faith and said, well, I really only think 
three, about three of these are, are true. And right. yet on Sundays, there were still these sort of historically orthodox sermons happening. And so I watched the church over several years sort of, you know, as I said in the blog, kind of go off the rails and it, it hurt a lot of people. And the church is now just self-defined as a progressive Christian community. Right. And what, is, so, what do they mean when they say that? Well, I, I think what that church means is they're, they're probably on, you know, if, if the progressive thing is a spectrum yeah. between liberal and conservative, they're probably on the further on the liberal side of it, yeah. where they would be more on the universalist or universal reconciliation side of things right. um, at this point. And so, um, you know, I watched a sermon a few weeks ago where it was done in a very kind of it wasn't a very direct way, but the deity of Jesus even was sort of like, if you don't want to believe that, that's fine. And, you know, right. like those kind of things. And so um, that's how they would define it. But, you know, when I, so, so during that time, my, uh, my faith was rocked to the core. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of people going to college and having a atheist philosophy professor just dismantle their faith. And yeah. I can say that it was, it was an experience very similar to that where everything I had ever believed about Jesus and God and the Bible was sort of put on this intellectual chopping block and yeah. literally deconstructed. I mean, it, it, it sent me into a dark night of the soul that I can <laughs> hardly describe. So, right. and, and I know that uh, I have a heart for the progressive church because I really think that that's a similar story where you've, maybe it wasn't in a progressive church that your faith was rocked or somewhere else, but you're rethinking all these things because you know, you, you're just going, man, is this, is this what we've believed for so long? Is this even true? Right. And so um, I, I deconstructed down to the bottom right. of even, can we even know truth exists, you know? Yeah. And had to reconstruct. You're getting uh, to that hippie stuff. Well, I, I hear yeah, you. <laughs> you know, you know. All right, guys, this is Matt. I got to interrupt you because I got to tell you about Movement Watches, MVMT Watches, pronounced movement. Uh, it was founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. So this watchmaker's goal was to change the way that consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality, minimalist products at revolutionary prices. Now, here's the thing. They've sold over a million watches to customers in 160 countries around the world. Movement Watches has solidified itself as one of the fastest-growing watch companies that, that there is. So the one I got, for instance, I got to pick out on the website. I went through and I looked at all the different choices and I was able to get one that I know is going to fit my style, which is pretty minimal if you see how I dress. I was able to get a, a watch that has some silver on it, but mostly black. It looks very sleek. It's very stylish. And I don't even wear it every day. I wear it when I want to make a statement. I wear it when I want to look good. I wear it when I put on a collared shirt. I wear it when I put on a suit, when I go to a wedding, when I take my wife on a date. This is when I put on my movement watch and it looks good. It makes me feel good. And I think it gets me noticed by other people. I'm pretty sure. I cannot prove that, but I'm pretty sure people check me out and think that I'm, I'm more badass because of it. So movement watches start at just $95 at a department store. You're looking at four or 500 bucks. So movement figured out that by selling online, they're able to cut out the middleman and get rid of the retail markup, providing the best possible price. And these things are nice. I'm telling you, classic design, Quality construction, very important, and minimal style. So, they again, they've already sold a million of these things, so people must be, you know, getting onto it really good for a good reason. But 
They also have free shipping and free returns, so that would tell you something, uh, that how confident they are in the product and that it's working very well. You can get 15% off today, free shipping, free returns, by going to mvmt.com slash bcpod. This watch has a really clean design. Seriously, I've been getting compliments ever since I put it on. And now is time to step up your watch game. You go to mvmt.com slash bcpod and join the movement. And I, and I did, and I reconstructed, and... What I came to um, over the, 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 this was years of, of diving into theology, diving into uh, church history and uh, all kinds of different thinkers and scholars. And, and what I came to was that, man, the, the bones of what we have as a historic Christian faith stand strong. And, and, uh, and there were things I corrected along the way, things yeah. that I had believed that... Um, that I corrected, but what I'm seeing now uh, in the progressive church is an undermining of that core, solid, beautiful structure that we have right. of historic beliefs that that define what Christianity is, and it's uh, removing the uniqueness of Christianity in the world. Yeah, and uh, so that's sort of the heart behind. Yeah. The post is yeah. to help other. It's really it was really to help people. I didn't really mean to tick a bunch of people off. <laughs> I, I really didn't, because I really respect their their views. I mean, if, right. if if a progressive church has a belief statement and this is what they believe, right, then I respect that. But yeah. there are people who are kind of in churches like that that maybe don't want to be, and they don't know how to recognize some of the signs. And that's yeah. that's the heart behind the post. Yeah, totally. So I, I mean, I don't think I have to say this, but as as hard of that as hard as that season was for you, but we'd probably both agree it was a good thing to, to go through oh, just yeah. because of how much shaping it's done and everything. So, you know, I, I mean, I told you going into this conversation that there's, there's probably gonna be a lot of things that we disagree with. It's so interesting just how the internet works because like hearing you and having an actual, and I'm just like, how many times do I have to learn the same daggum lesson? It's like talking to a actual person. It's like, oh yeah, they are a person. They're not just a bunch of words on a, on a, on a website post. But with, with that said, do you, I mean, do you mind if I kind of go after that blog post just a little bit and, and just... T- no, not at all. Because okay. yeah. <laughs> in, in no way am I like this... Uh, teacher lording over you. This, these are just my opinions, but it seems yeah. like what you, what you tried to accomplish, if anything, I think in, in this day and age, mm-hmm. what, what people would like, there's a lot of people in the church that seriously are saying, I don't understand how God can send someone to hell. There's a lot of people that are in the church that are saying, I know gay people. There, how, how can that be wrong? And, and these people that are asking these questions are Christians. They're seeking the same Jesus that you and I are, but it seems like that blog post is saying we can't, like, we can have these discussions, but at the end of the day, just know that, you know, we we know the truth in this stuff, and so the agenda of our conversations will be to get there. And, mm-hmm. and so what that does is that leaves a lot of people to think, oh, well, that church structure that I've always grown up in, I guess I can't, I can't be a part of because these are real questions that I'm having. Like, I almost wonder if we confuse progressive thinking with just the concept of asking real questions. You know? oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think that anybody who knows me and yeah. 
knows my story and, and probably has read my blog uh, a little bit would know that I am not against asking questions. I think that the, the asking of the que- in fact, I advocate that, that yeah. we don't ask enough questions as Christians. In fact, that's the thing I'm always harping on uh, in churches when I teach and when I speak is that, you know, if you don't know why you believe the Bible is the Word of God, yeah. then you're, you know, you have to know why you believe that. Right. And if you, you know, and then maybe you'll come to not believe that. Yeah, but but I do believe that the gospel with can withstand scrutiny, and so I am an absolute, total advocate of uh, uh, diving into absolutely every issue and knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Now there comes a point though, where and 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 so so hear me. What I'm saying is that the person who comes to me and says I've had people email me and yeah. say I don't get I I don't understand like how God could, you know, do the Canaanite conquest or, or how, right. um, gay, you know, he could send gay people to hell or anybody to hell for that matter. And I love getting emails like that because I think that those are important things for every Christian to think through. Um, the post was not so much aimed at people asking questions, but yeah. churches changing their stances on things. Right. You know, uh, like things, you, when I did the comments you might hear section, like, I, if somebody came to me and said, hey, this Bible verse doesn't resonate with me, I'm not right. going to be like, you're a heretic, you know. <laughs> right. I would be like, man, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Let's talk more about that. Right. But when a pastor from a pulpit says that, that's really more what the post is addressing. It's like when you're in church and your pastor might say something like, you know, um, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to, right. to tell a good story. Then I think that's something for any Christian to kind of go, whoa, you know, right. hey, hang on. And, and if we don't know for ourselves some of those answers, then um, then I think it's easy to become deceived. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that, that actually brings up a, a great point. So you, you said when a pastor doubts the—I I forget what your exact words were, but basically the authenticity of the death and resurrection of Christ— like, I totally agree with you. And my thing is, you know what? If if Joey Svensson is wrong on that, then I'm wrong on that. But I'm not budging on that or else I, mm-hmm. I'll just stop being a Christian because that is the Christian faith. So, you know, if right. you're going to say, hey, we're a church, we're a Christian church, we're not sure about the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you just defined yourself as you're not a Christian church. And that's not, that's not a slam. That's just the reality of it is. But it seems like you, in, in, the, in the article, it seems... Like so, for uh, for for our listeners who haven't um, read the blog post, mm-hmm. basically, and and please stop me if I say anything incorrectly. These are are five warning signs that your church may be going progressive. Is that fair mm-hmm. statement? Yeah. So the warning signs: one, there's a lower view of the of the Bible; two, feelings are emphasized over facts; three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation; four, historic terms are redefined; five, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. So you just talked about the cross, and yet, like, on number three, which is essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation, mm-hmm. it seems like you mentioned homosexuality, for instance, and and hell, and I, I mean, hell for me, in, in my season of life, I think that's low-hanging fruit as far as eternal conscious torment is is anything but an essential. And I mean, I can just, you know, Greg, Greg Boyd, for instance, John Stott, sure. N.T. Wright, these are guys that 
I think know the Bible more than both of us. I don't know how well you know the Bible, but I think these guys are probably <laughs> probably more studied and they're just like, oh yeah, we, we are reading something wrong because if anything, it seems like there's an all-consuming fire that destroys people. So annihilationism. Right. Like right. A, a friend of mine, Preston Sprinkle, who helped write a book with uh, Francis Chan. I mean, he's now like, yeah, scripturally, I wish universalism was true, but if I have to hang my hat on anything, I think annihilationism is true. But it's it just seems like you're saying hell is is an essential, and that to me is is not scary but disappointing because then if like I Christian churches would be uneasy with someone that says, hey, you know what? I don't I don't believe that people go to hell. It's like, whoa, wait a second. There's a slippery slope there. Next thing you know, you're going to be, you know, okay with euthanasia for crying out loud. Right. Like, it, are, are these things essentials to you? Well, let me let me comment on the hell. Uh, I, I worded my post very carefully on yeah. purpose. Yeah. Uh, because I expected some pushback and I wanted to be very, very intentional on the way that I worded things. Right. So uh, in the comments you might hear, that's the only place hell is mentioned. Yeah. And what I said there is that you might hear this. The idea of a literal hell is offensive in non-Christians, uh, to non-Christians and needs to be reinterpreted. Now, uh, I was not in my mind. Yeah. The, uh, you know, uh, annihilationism wasn't even on my mind because annihilationists, I can't even talk, annihilationists, um, I, I don't agree with annihilationists. Right. And I believe it's wrong. Um, but they still affirm a literal hell. Right. Uh, that there will be a period of time of punishment. There's still the concept of God's judgment and and punishment. Uh, they would I would disagree with them on the duration of it. But what I worded this very intentionally: the idea of a literal hell, because what I'm hearing in the in again like the progressive circles that I've been in and the blog posts that I read and very very popular prominent blog posts. These aren't just right. you know some backwoods corner of the internet that. Um, that hell, it doesn't exist at all, that, yeah. that it's really just the suffering we go through here on earth. And it becomes this metaphor, which really is universalism. Right. And so, uh, you know, it, I wasn't intending really to push back on annihilationism. I know there's even some conservative, what, you know, people might call conservative people that, that are uh, rethinking that, like John Stott, you mentioned, is one uh, yeah. massive, amazing man of God that uh, sort of, you know, was, I, I believe he, he didn't make that an issue of, um, like, I, I, when I read about John Stott on this issue, he, he approached it very humbly, yeah. I will say. And, yeah. and that's, you know, and so that's, that would be a different debate for me. But I'm just talking about the idea of a literal hell, which really has implications for the heart of the gospel, right. of our sin separating us from God. I mean, William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, just came out with a book about lies we believe about God. And one of the lies he says we believe about God is that our sin separates us from God. Yeah. And that it was God's will that Jesus died on the cross. And this is that's what I'm encountering in the progressive church. Wait, so did I hear you correctly? He says that that's a lie that people believed that yes. our sin separates us? Okay. <clears throat> yes, gotcha. that's, that's what he says. Gotcha. And he's wildly popular, of course, sold millions of books. Right. And um, now, so now, I, now, why, you know... <laughs> why isn't if if that guy says I'm pursuing Jesus right now and I and I do believe that he's the only way why why can't there be room for him to think that through too because I I definitely 
I may agree with you more, but I, I for sure see the gospel message a lot differently now. It, you, so it, I don't know if you're insinuating this, but it seems like you're insinuating that part of the gospel message or an integral part of telling people about it is you're separated from God with sin. You need a savior. Is that fair? That, sure. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, I would definitely say that the, the call of the gospel is come to God. He loves you. Like, come to him. He wants a relationship with you because it's just so tricky when Paul tells us that we're not even supposed to judge unbelievers. Like, unbelievers, we don't need to tell them our assessment about sin. We're just calling them, hey, come to God. Come to God. Like, repentance, it's always had, like, this negative feel yeah. Like repent, repent, because the guy that stands on the street corner. Uh, right. Obvious repentance should be a beautiful word. It's like come to God. Like you can yeah. turn from your way of doing life, which is by yourself, and actually have your Creator come alongside you and hold you and, and all that. So repentance yeah. should should be a beautiful word. But like even I even, agree with you. By the way, I agree with everything you just said. Hey, folks, this is Matt, and pardon the interruption from the interview. I'll get you right back to it. But before I do, I want to tell you about a company called Hubble. Now, I tell you what, my vision's pretty good, and I don't use contact lenses, but I cannot tell you how much time I've spent listening to Toby and Devin, who have, you know, need a lot of corrective vision, talk about, despair about, fret about contact lenses, how much they wear them, how much they cost, how inconvenient the process of getting them is. I've been around these guys forever, and it's just nonstop talk about contacts and the difficulty that they face with that, and uh, that's until Hubble came along. So Toby is a big Hubble user now, and I can tell you it's great. Now he doesn't whine about his contacts anymore because he's not overpaying for uncomfortable lenses, because he's not overwearing lenses, which is something he was notorious for, uh, in order to save money. So what if I told you that you can get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for less. So 60 contacts for 30 bucks. Do the math. That's a dollar a day. That's half the price of other brands. So you can go to HubbleContacts.com and you can get your first two weeks for free. Contacts are expensive because the, the company there's only four companies that control like 97% of the market until now. So we keep seeing companies like this spring up that are finding these types of things and, and cutting costs and making better service to more people. And we're happy to be able to share those with you. So Hubble sells directly to you so they can offer you contacts for half the price. That's the, kind of the beauty of this thing. And uh, it, works, it works great. Everybody's very, very happy with them that uses them. So go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. So you really can't beat this deal. Hubble is offering our listeners two weeks of free contacts. So go to HubbleContacts.com and get 2020 vision for half the price. That's H-U-B-B-L-E Contacts.com. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, even the woman uh, at the well, Jesus, he, he pointed out, yeah, I mean, the guy you're with, you're not even married to, but he didn't even bother to say, yes, this is sin and this is separating. He just said, I, I am the son of man or, or whatever, right. you know, I am the savior. So I think right there, it, am I, am I that much different than what, what's the guy's name that wrote the shack? I forget his uh, name. William Paul Young. Yeah. Am, am I that much different from him? He would say, yeah, our sin doesn't separate us. I guess I would go so far as to say, yeah, maybe semantics. Well, I don't, I'll tell you why I don't think it's semantics. Yeah. I, I suspect from hearing what you're saying that you and I would probably be more in agreement about 
uh, soteriology about you know the theology of salvation. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't uh, just to clarify. I'm not going to go to every unbeliever I see and be like, hey, by the way, do you know you're a sinner? Right. And, right. You know, no, of I course. Know. Right. Of course not. And I agree with you. I think repentance is a beautiful word. Jesus preached repentance more than anybody. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Unless you repent, you will perish. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Even Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yeah. And and there's it's just all throughout Scripture that we are to die to ourselves, to our sin. And so, you know, the presentation of that. Right. Um, yeah, the, you know, the finger-wagging uh, fundamentalist Turner Burn guy on the street corner is not going to bring many people in with that message, but you can't preach repentance without an understanding of our fallenness. And, right. you know, and so I think what William, I don't think it's semantics because I, what William Paul Young is saying is that your sin is not a, a thing. It's just not separating you from God. And therefore, if your sin doesn't separate you from God, uh, then it really, then it affects how we think about the cross and about atonement that really Jesus didn't, you know, really, ha- it wasn't God's will Jesus died. We just wanted our, you know, pound of flesh and so God gave it to us. But right. it, it's, it shifts it fundamentally into a totally different thing. And I, I think you said something earlier that is a really important point. Um, and, and again, I am uh, all about asking the questions. I mean, my blog is sort of, I mean, I just started it in October, so I haven't, you know, been able to post uh, prolifically yet, but yeah. it is the process of my reconstruction about, you know, when I had this question, here's what I came to. And so right. I would write a blog post about it. Um, but it, so I'm all about, you know, a Christian, we must know what we believe and why we believe. But if at the end of that process, we come to it and go, you know what, I, I don't think that Jesus really had to die. I don't think my sin separates me from God. Um, I don't, uh, believe that there's any, you know, sort of that God's really just not that upset about sin at all. And it's just all fine. Well, at that point, you're really just not a Christian anymore. And, and I wish that there'd be a little more honesty in some of these circles. Now I don't get this sense from you at all. Mm -hmm. So I want to be clear about that. But in some of these more progressive circles, I wish that there'd just be more honesty to say, you know what, we just sort of reject Christianity. We want to do something else and we're going to call it something else. Yeah. But, but they're just sort of trying to hijack Christianity in, and I don't mean peripheral issues. I mean, we, we all have our opinions on peripheral issues. I'm talking about core gospel issues. Yeah. If someone's going to do this deep soul searching, walk through their dark night of the soul, deconstruct and reconstruct, and when they come out on the other side of it, yeah. if they're basically saying, you know, I don't think Jesus had to die on the cross. I think the Bible is just some sort of ancient travel journal that these guys were trying to figure out where they came from. Um, I don't think I'm sinful. I, you know, then at that point, you're, you're just really not a Christian. You're not affirming Christianity anymore. It's something right. else. Right. And so I, I think that, that now I'm not saying that's true of everyone. And that's the, the tough thing we get into is somebody might be seriously, honestly before God working through these things. And I just want you to yeah. know if that's you, I'm not talking about you. If you are really, truly before God, cause I've been there. And I understand that. And God isn't afraid of any question that we might have. But if at the end of it, and I'm talking about some of the leaders and the vocal prominent vo- voices that are saying, you know, it's, it's just, it's a different gospel at yeah. that point. I mean, do, do, you, uh, do you realize, though, that 
this the sensitivity of like using homosexuality as an example for instance i mean i'll I'll give you a quick story my wife and i were at a conference and uh i mean it was just out of nowhere and and the guy is a very prominent speaker and he just threw out of, of nowhere the guy just slanted the gay community and it was out of nowhere it just seemed so out of place and everybody's entitled to to how they you know want to think about things but i just do you not see when you use that as as an example your heart may be saying one thing but people are going to read it another way because if you have uh, a gay person who really is seeking Jesus and really wants to do what God, I mean, they, I, I know gay people that are just like, I really want to do God's will. If I was sure that this was wrong, then, then I wouldn't do it. But where I'm at right now, mm-hmm. I just don't feel that way. I'm okay with being in, in fellowship with, with that person, but it, your, your blog post kind of paints the picture of that's not even, we're, we're not even, talking about that and mm-hmm. and and that person would it seems would respond you don't you don't even know me like yeah why yeah. would that be used as an example well um i will tell you that that was on for the listeners that haven't read the blog post yeah. that's under the point number two feelings are emphasized over facts yeah. yeah and where that's brought in um is with the comments you might hear i thought homosexuality was a sin until i met and befriended some gay people and right. i've heard this a lot from from christians who basically have changed their position on homosexuality because of relationships that they've had with people. Right. And which, which um, it's so difficult. I mean, it is, it is not easy, I, I want you to know, to write things like this. I know. Because I have many people in my life that are uh, touched by this issue. And when we're talking about homosexuality, we're not just talking about a theological point. We're talking about people's lives. We're right. talking about people. And um, I, I have a tremendous heart for the gay community, um, uh, and, and I, I love Preston Sprinkle's approach, you know, that where he's, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be what we lead with, you know, right. if you meet somebody, you don't do that with your other friends, like, hey, by the way, I want you to know that this, this, and this in your life is a sin, and I truly believe that when someone encounters the gospel of Jesus, it's transforming, the Holy Spirit will transform, and, um, and, and there are people who are searching that through. And yeah. if there's, like I said, if there's anybody going, God, I'm really seeking to understand you on this issue. Yeah. I believe God hears that prayer and he will walk that person through. And I'm not suggesting that every person, uh, you know, who's asking that question is a heretic or is, yeah. you know, I, I want to reiterate that. But the reason I did bring that into the post is I've argued in another blog post um, which I'm sure <laughs> some of your readers would love just as much as this one, <laughs> um, about uh, kind of when the, you know, Jen Hatmaker changed her position. And, and my, my post is really about why I argue that we can't agree to disagree on this issue. Right. Um, is because uh, there are, like in my life, that I've had uh, friends who are same-sex attracted, who have done the work, gone through it, come out on the other side, believe it's completely fine, uh, that, that God has blessed this about their lives and they're out of the closet and it's not an issue for them. Right. But I have a lot of friends who are same-sex attracted who believe that the Bible does not permit them to engage in relationships that would fulfill those desires. Right. 
and they feel hated. Uh, they are made fun of in a lot of progressive circles. And when I mention people like that, I've had people come back and say, oh, you mean they're just in the closet? Right. And I think that's incredibly dismissive of their journey. Oh, so I agree. The reason, the reason I think that we have to, that churches have to, uh, and I mean, I, I want you to know that this isn't something that I've come to lightly. I have, right. uh, I've gone on Reformation uh, Project's website and downloaded all of their material to, to read and, and see where they're coming from, see what their arguments are. And I have done my own study and I've read scholars and I've read a, a gajillion books on this. And I have come to the, the belief that the historic position on this is, is the truthful and, and right one. And the reason I argue that we can't agree to disagree on it is because homosexuality biblically... Now, I, I want to define what I mean by homosexuality. I am not referring to people who experience same-sex attraction. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to what Paul referred to, which is the act of having sex with the same gender. Okay, that's in my deep research of all the scholars, I truly believe that's what those word, that word arsenicoitis means, is men having sex with men. And that's the prohibited behavior. The, the desires are not, um, you know, we all are born with certain proclivities or certain desires. And so the person who's struggling with that shouldn't feel condemned because they have um, a desire like that. But I'm talking about the actual act of engaging in the relation, relational aspect of it. Does that kind of make sense? It does, but are, I mean, are you, are you open to the possibility that, that, we're, that we're wrong on this issue? And, and the reason I say that is it, it, it seems like you're making this inessential. And mm-hmm. I, I have definitely heard very strong arguments from mm-hmm. people that I would say are seeking God to the best of their ability with yeah. all their heart. And they're saying when Paul mentions these things, he did not have what we have in mind now, such right. as two consenting adults. That wasn't really even a thing back then. So right. I, I guess I'm getting to a point where I don't want to make something e- essential that there seems to be some things in question. What, what I think is just crazy too is how easily we toss around that word essential, and yet some of our mm-hmm. greatest Christian thinkers don't even agree on how salvation <laughs> comes mm-hmm. about. They, they they agree with the cross, but some think that God just picks and chooses. Other right. people believe that, you know, we have a choice and we choose God, and it's like, holy crap, you mean yeah. we can't even agree with how people come to God? Yeah. But it's like with with Christians, we're so sure on this issue, just like just like we were so sure on 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 slavery. And I think I think Well, that, let me can I interrupt for a second yeah, there? Yeah. There's a huge difference between the historic position on slavery and the position on homosexuality. The church uh was never all set all together on slavery. In fact, it was the biblical arguments against slavery that led guys like I agree with that. William Wilberforce to, to fight against it. Abolitionist uh, Frederick Douglass gave a huge speech where he basically said, this is the wrong interpretation. This, you know, this is absolutely not what that is saying. So the church never had a historic position on slavery. And if you look at the trajectory from the Old Testament all the way through the New, it is moving toward freedom for slaves. The entire biblical narrative moves toward freedom. And frankly, the, the Old Testament in the Hebrew world, uh, that, that word slave 
uh, does not mean what we mean when we think of the antebellum slavery of the South in America. I, I agree. It's a little different thing. Right. I agree with that. But what the only point that I'm making is there were hundreds, if not thousands of pastors that were slave mm-hmm. owners. They were hun- right. thousands of churchgoers that sang bringing in the sheaves one second and then went yeah. home and yelled at their slaves for not getting enough work done. It just, right. for a lot of people, they held the two things hand in hand. I totally yeah. agree with you as far as biblical teachings is what ended up spurring on the abolitionist movement, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's just a reality that slavery was just a, like an accepted thing in America, and we also sang God bless America. So I, I just, uh, for me, with, with and, and my, my wife is pretty much just at a place where she's, she's like, I, I, I think we have it completely wrong, um, you know, with, with yeah. gay people and all that. You definitely, I, I understand your heart, but you're saying you have a heart for the gay community, and I don't doubt that. I can't doubt your mm-hmm. heart. But I think how we need to handle a heart for the gay community would be not to just put this stuff out as words because even though even though you said this is about real pe- people at least your words made it an issue because mm-hmm. bottom line is thousands of gay people can read that and say holy shit she just made that an issue like that I, I thought this mm-hmm. is this is about real people and i know that's not your intentions but yeah. i just wish the whole the whole church would back up and say you know what this is a really different situation here when it like this this is something that we probably should reserve for private conversation because whether we like it or not you know thir- pretty much everybody on the face of the earth 30 years and younger they their starting point is I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended some gay people. That is their starting point. So if mm-hmm. if we dismiss that starting point, then it's like, well, I don't know where to I don't know where to go with you. I mean, I, I'm I'm frankly more worried about the future generation, including my kids. I'm more worried about them leaving the church because of how we are handling this this issue. Not yeah. not the confusion about oh my gosh, I saw Johnny at church and he has has two moms. I think right. what's going to be more bothersome is that those two moms aren't allowed to seek Jesus just like everybody else because mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to serve in, in certain capacities. But I yeah. guess that's well, my little could, soapbox. Com- yeah, and I, and I totally understand where you're coming from. And if I could just comment on that For, just sure. a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think there's two different things at play here. There's the, there's the relational aspect of what we believe about this and how that plays out. Yeah. And then there's the truth of what we believe about it. And I think that I do argue that the issue of homosexuality is, it, it's not itself like the essential doctrine, right. but it touches on the gospel. So it is essential. And I don't think we can agree to disagree. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible so clearly defines it as a sin. And so the whole gospel being about sin and redemption and repentance calling us to come and die, it calls all of us, not just gay people to die to their thing. It calls, it calls all of us to die. In fact, Sam Alberry is a... Do you know Sam Alberry? Nope. He is a, a pastor in the UK, and he has... He identifies himself as same-sex attracted. Uh, by all intents and purposes, everybody else would say he's gay. I mean, this is just a gay guy. From right. the minute he could remember, he's been attracted to men and only men. Mm-hmm. And yet he believes that the gospel for gay people is good news, mm-hmm. that it's a good word. And he believes that the Bible calls him to lay that down 
and he believes that 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 God has defined the the outworking of the behavior of that as a sin. So here's what he says. He said, ever since I've been open about my experiences with homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. Yeah. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything out of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it's likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. So guys like Sam Elberry, there's a, bu- there's a ton of, of people like this, uh, Sam Elberry, Rosaria Butterfield, um, just many people who experience the orientation of being gay, but they believe that it's something that God doesn't allow, so they do their best to live a life that's faithful to what they believe the Bible is teaching. The reason that I think it's really important that we don't just do this in private conversation is because I've had so many people come to me and they want somebody to speak out on their behalf because they, like I said before, they feel hated. They get made fun of. They get, oh, well, you just haven't come out of the closet yet. You'll get it. By Christian. I'm talking by Christians. Right. And so if we take a, a, a double-minded position on this, then we are, in fact, Sam Elberry addressed the Anglican Synod in England. And he basically said, if you change your position on this, you're betraying people like me because they need a safe place to fellowship. They need a safe place to find accountability. And so I don't see how it's not something that's so extremely important. And just to address the idea that, you know, the the idea of orientation is a new concept. A couple of things, if if you would indulge me, I I would have to say on that. Um, First of all, it's demonstrably false that that wasn't something that people knew about. there, there's the Babylonian Summa Ulu, that there's a, an inference in the Epic of Gilgamesh. There are church fathers that wrote about women marrying other women. And we're talking about loving, monogamous, same-sex relationships. Yeah. So it's, it's demonstrably false that that didn't exist. Now, I agree that the primary expression of homosexuality in the ancient world was not that. The primary expression was the pederasty and the abusive slave-master relationships and things like that. But if we look big picture here, mm-hmm. all throughout the history of the church, this has been not even debated. Like the slavery thing was debated. This isn't even debated, never has been until recently in modern times, starting about the 50s with, I think his name was Sherman Bailey, who was the first guy, to, uh, to my knowledge, to come along and kind of say, look, I think maybe we've been interpreting this wrong. Yeah. But if you take virtually every scholar who's an expert in the field of sexuality and antiquity, uh, New Testament studies who are... Uh, not Christian, right. like I, I'm talking about gay scholars who are gay themselves, many of them, very much pro-gay um, rights and, and gay marriage, even they are saying there's absolutely no, uh, no way that Paul was unaware of the, the idea of same-sex orientation as a loving relationship. Um, they're saying there's no way he would change what he said based on that. Right. And so the so what I'm seeing is all throughout church history, the church has all agreed. The secular gay scholars agree about what the Bible says about it. So there's just this one little pocket of this modern kind of view coming in, and it's the revi- the Christian revisionists that are coming along and saying this. I mean, I, and so yeah, I see where you're coming. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I see where you're coming from, but you you could make the same case and say it's been relatively recent that that like 
real science has been debated because people have, you know, biblically thought that the sun isn't stationary and, and the earth is. I mean, when when you think about it, the vast majority of Christian faith, people took a lot of scientific stuff that the Bible says as, as literal. So I, I, I see the mm-hmm. point that you're trying to make for sure. But so l- let me, let me paint uh, a scenario for you here. What, what would you do with two women? Let's say you're in small group with them and you, you know that their hearts are, are truly seeking the Lord. They want to put God first and they end up realizing that they're attracted to each other and they're like, Oh gosh, we, we can't, we can't do that. This is against God's will. And it, 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 and let's just assume right now, let, let's, let's assume that being gay or acting on it is a sin, but these two friends of yours, they really seek the Lord and they're at a place where they're just like, you know what? We, we, we feel okay with this. Like what, what do you do with that situation? Well, I would have to go, well, first of all, that's a tough question because we're talking about people and relationships and hopefully there would be a relationship there, yeah. you know, first to start with. So what I'm about to say could sound callous because, sure. okay. so we have to presuppose that there's a loving relationship there. We, we really genuinely love each other. And I, you know, I'm an incredibly merciful person, but I would, as a Bible believing Christian, I would have to, you know, do what the Bible says, which is you go to somebody one-on-one first, and if they don't receive it, you bring somebody else. And, you know, it, it's as hard as that is, I, I believe that, that sometimes we may not like the way the Bible says to do things, right. but but ultimately that's what protects the church, and that's what protects them. And, and you know, I, I understand how that seems to somebody who genuinely believes that that's okay, right. but I, I would have no other choice but to do that. But why, I guess, why why are you so positive like why why is it why is it so clear to you that we we know so so i tell you what let's let's keep that in mind and let's talk about when you basically let's see it would be there's a lower view of the bible and you talk about authoritative readings of bible what what would be your definition of authoritative like what does that mean I would say that uh, the Bible is the ultimate authority. Now, I am a continuationist, so I, I believe that you know God will lead us. He will even speak to us. But everything, any, any message that we would receive or anything would have to be weighed against the Bible as the final authority. So if God tells me something yeah. that disagrees with the Bible, I'm wrong. Right. And that wasn't God because God doesn't contradict himself. And so that, that would be my view, that the Bible has the right to correct me and inform me uh, in matters of faith and practice and in all of life. Right. But how, you know, and, and this, this is something that I'm still processing. Mm-hmm. How, how are we, sh- I mean, how are we sure we're, we are reading the Bible correctly? So it mm-hmm. just, it's, it seems like there are, are portions of the Bible that we're supposed to read as, oh, that's a Proverbs. We're, we're not, mm-hmm. you know, really supposed to do such and such as painting a picture of something right. to really think about, you know, Psalms. And, you know, if, if we're supposed to say, ooh, David felt this way about God, I need to feel this way too all the time. Well, that'd be silly. No, David right. was, was. So those sorts of things, how, how do we know when we're not reading the Bible correctly? Like even Jewish tradition dating 
I, I, I can't quote exactly how far back, but a lot of Jews a long time ago traditionally read Genesis, Adam and Eve as allegorical. Like they didn't read it as two actual individuals. And so there just seems to be so there needs to be a level of, of humility, and I'm not saying that you're not, but there needs to be such you. an open-handedness of, oh my gosh, you mean to tell me the creator of the universe communicated to us in a book? Like, that's really crazy because there's yeah. no way that he can contain himself in this thing. And I, I know a lot of people would say, well, then why, why do we even bother? I wouldn't say, why do we even bother? But I, I would definitely say, hey, let's just let's just focus in on Jesus and and then man we got to talk everything else through and i think that's where i would say with the gay christian couple we need we need them to be a part of the conversation but they're not going to want to be a part of the conversation if we if we go ahead and eliminate them as real Christ followers that are trying to do the Lord's will. And I even believe that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not positive where I stand with it being a sin or not, but I'm even fine with saying if it's a sin and I'm convinced that it is, and they're convinced that it's not, if I know that they're seeking after God first and foremost, I don't care because there are things in my life that I am not convinced they're it's a sin, but it is, and I just don't know it yet. And either it takes someone seeing it because I don't see it, or it takes God saying, hey, you know, that stuff you've been dealing with for the last 10 years, how dare you? That was really yeah. horrible to your wife, and yeah. she's been dealing with this for 10 years. You need to knock it off. And then I, I go to my wife, and I'm like, I cannot believe I have not seen this for the last 10 years. I'm so sorry. But but if But if my jerkiness towards my wife was something that people said, hey, you know, sorry, as you're, we know you're seeking the Lord and everything in your life, but until you get this thing figured out, we see it, you don't, you can't be with us. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, and I have a lot more understanding for where you're coming from than a lot of people that I run circles with. I really do. Because my thing is, if you truly believe that it is a sin, then you're just like, well, my gosh, we, we have to be able to, you know, help. And how can we help if we don't, if we're not clear? Now, I would disagree with, with, with using it as like an example in a blog post, just because I don't think there's any way anybody can take that other than an issue. But I understand where you're coming from, but I think I'm at a place where I'm like, no, I, I want to be in a church to where there's a gay couple there and there's people there that are just like, yeah, I don't think that's right, but I know they're Christians and we're seeking the Lord together, and we'll figure all this stuff out. And then there's other Christians that are just like, nah, I'm not convinced that the Bible is is uh, against that. I think everything's cool. But if we're if we have hearts for God and we're seeking Jesus, what are what are we afraid of? Like, I'm well, I'm not I, afraid that that gay yeah. couple's going to go to hell. I'm certainly well, I'm not, not. Not if I, they've accepted Jesus. I would Jesus. agree with you that it shouldn't be a fear-based thing. I mean, I don't think I'm not afraid of. Of uh, I, I hope gay people will come to my church. I hope yeah. that they will experience the presence of God and and be drawn to Him. And um, but I think that what we have to acknowledge as Christians, and sometimes it's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not. It's not fun to be the person saying this stuff. It's really not. It's not. It doesn't bring me joy right. to say it. But but ultimately, we have to acknowledge that God is holy. And he defines what that means. Yeah. And I don't get to define that. 
And, and so it's, you know, when you asked about biblical authority. And, and um, let, me, let me say, uh, don't mm-hmm. forget your thought, but for the record, I agree with what you just said. My only point is I don't think we can always assume that, that we have, that, that we know what, what God is saying about certain things. And I, I know that, that it is a loose comparison, and I'm sympathetic to you saying, no, you can't put slavery and, and homosexuality in, in the same um, you know, mm-hmm. examples, but it just so happens that a, there was a remnant that never was fine with mm-hmm. slavery in the Christian church, but the majority of civilization, Christian and non, we thought we had that one right. I mean, we thought that was God's order of things, and we were wrong. But when we thought we were right, we pointed and we said, Paul is teaching mm-hmm. slaves submit to your masters. Now, you and I, I think you and I would say, no, there's a heart of submission that Paul is after, and he's saying, no matter what season of life you're in, show love, turn the other mm-hmm. cheek and that sort of thing. But that's not how people were using it back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. They're saying, see, even yeah. Paul thinks so. So my, my thing is, I don't want, I don't feel it to be a necessary essential for me to be so sure about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't well, I know. Think, you know, that I think there was more debate than, than you're, you're saying over slavery within the church. But yeah. that aside, um, <clears throat> No, I, I forgot what I was going to say. It was, it was. I'm sorry. I'm a no. Asshole. That's okay. It's a good conversation. No, this is. A, and I, I want to, I want to say to you what I said to you before we were on the air that I appreciate um, having the conversation because yeah. when we retreat to our echo chambers, you know, then then I mean, we're, I think we're seeing that play out in politics. Everybody's just losing their minds because we're not talking to each other. And so I appreciate the opportunity to come on here. But I mean, I, I get. I, I guess I would just say I really understand what you're saying. But for me. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Right. And I know people say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. But if you view scripture like I do and like the church historically has, they're all red letters. You mm-hmm. know, if Jesus is God and the Bible is inspired by God and is God's word, then then the whole thing is red letters. Is, and, Je- and even aside from that, Jesus is the one himself who defined what marriage means. Yeah. And so I don't get to change what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, one man, one woman, one lifetime. And I don't get to change that. I don't get to come in and say, well, I know some people are really hurting over this uh, because I believe that what will be life to those people, as life was for me in my sin, was for the message of redemption to be brought to me. You know, I've been confronted about sin in my life in the past, and it did not go well, but I, I really believe it saved my life. Yeah. I didn't respond to it well, and I felt hurt and misunderstood um, because my heart was really in something. But, and it didn't happen right away, but I repented before the Lord. And the yeah. grace and the, the flood of His presence and the peace that He gave me in letting that thing go um, was tremendous. And I, So that's why I agree with Sam Albury that the word that God has for the person who experiences the desire, you know, the same-sex attraction, or however you want, I don't mean to, to define it in a way that's, you know, uh, derogatory. I just, if that's the desire, God will meet that person right there. And that, and, and how that will play out in their life, I don't know. But I know that God is big enough that, that he will bring that person to life, just like he brought all of us to life when we came to him. Yeah. See, and here, and here's, here's, I'll, I'll rest on this with, with, with this topic is if, if you're sure about 
homosexuality, then I think you are absolutely right with how that plays out, other than some some random things here and there with how things were worded on the blog post. But Mm -hmm. with how you just described it, if you are sure, then I agree with you. I, I agree that we can't. We can't define immorality and morality. That's God's. It's just our job to submit, listen to Him, and all. I, I I get all that. I think my my thing is I'm I'm not I'm not sure if we can be so sure. And that that brings me, I guess, to the the last thing. By the way, I, I have a favor to ask. I, I um, my wife actually gets really. Uh, upset and maybe even a little bit mean about the gay issue, but I would love to get y'all, if, if, if you're okay with a feisty wife, I'd love for y'all to talk about this. <laughs> she, she's not nearly as nice and she, she's, a, she's a lot more convinced than I am, but that could be, it could be kind of fun. People could get their popcorn and their drinks oh ready. Oh my but... <laughs> gosh, I'll have to pray about that one. She, yeah. she's, a, she's a sweet lady. I'm, I'm kind of making sure. a joke, but um, sure. so here's, when it comes, uh, is is there room in church, to, and, and what I mean by that is, can, can we fellowship or include people that don't read the Bible like you read it. In other words, what if there's someone that says, I believe in Jesus, I believe he's the Son of Man, I believe he's the only way to God, but man, I this whole inerrancy thing, I just don't even know necessarily where that comes from, and so I'm open to it, but yeah. maybe maybe it'll be something in heaven where God says, hey, everything in there uh, was, was perfect, um, yeah. but I... Is, is there room in your definition of Christianity for someone mm-hmm. to say, no, nah, I think we need to kind of wade through the waters with Paul a little bit and mm-hmm. and maybe with the Holy Spirit's guidance decide ah, he was onto something there and then other times he wasn't. And I obviously get if we do that, we jeopardize us being able to be so sure about what the Bible says, which I'm not, su- I'm not mm-hmm. sure how important that really is. But what's mm-hmm. your outlook on people that read the Bible a little bit differently yeah. than you? Well, in my mind, you've asked two different questions okay. uh, just now. So let me answer the first one. You said if somebody you know, at church isn't sure about inerrancy, absolutely. Inerrancy has never been a test for faith, a you yeah. know, test for orthodoxy, even the Chicago Statement. Uh, says you can be a Christian and not believe in inerrancy. And I think that's a dangerous position to have. I think that's a that's an incorrect position to have. Yeah. But absolutely, somebody uh, who doesn't necessarily believe the Bible is inerrant um, can still be a Christian. I'm not I'm not calling heretic. And I was really careful not to use that word in my blog post either. <laughs> Did you want <laughs> um, to? <laughs> yeah. I do think that is a, a dangerous position. I think it it can lead down a slippery slope. Right. Now, the, the second thing you said is for somebody to start picking through Paul and say, well, I think he was onto something here and not here. Um, I, I can't, I, I, I couldn't really go along with that because either Paul, the words that Paul wrote in scripture are inspired by God or they're not, you know, and, and if we, and here's the thing, my fact number two, I think it was, I printed it out here somewhere that feelings are emphasized over facts. The minute we start going, okay, I think I like what Paul said here, but something to me doesn't resonate with what he's saying here. Um, then we're trusting our feelings over what God has spoken in his word. And, and so at that point, then we're just in relativism. We're just going, well, you know, and so much of that is defined by culture. You yeah. know, we are in a relativistic, pluralistic, postmodern society right now. And so it's, so when you start speaking in absolutes, it's like, it's, it just blows people's minds because they just don't think like that anymore um, for the most part. And, and so, 
but I think that's why the word of God is timeless because they, I mean, I'll tell you honestly, there's a lot of scripture that doesn't resonate with me right. where I go, Ugh, I don't like that, you know? Right. And um, so I think that I agree with what you said, that we need to read the Bible humbly. Uh, we need to read it in community. We need to recognize the millennia-long uh, interpretation that the church has held to on very core things. And I think that does include any sin issue. I mean, equally as big right now is, uh, you know, premarital sex. People just really thinking that's not a big deal anymore and living together before marriage and all of that. I, I think... All of these things, as the culture moves more in those directions, seem more odd to the person who reads certain things in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I would say, no, I, again, as a person who affirms biblical authority, the Bible has the right to correct me, not the other way around. Now, again, interpretations, we do need to hold humbly. We realize, like you mentioned, uh, did you mention Galileo, where you mentioned the science, how they were taking literally right. the sun? The reason they were taking that literally is because of Aristotle. That's what Aristotle believed. That was the dominant philosophy of the day. And so the church thought, oh, the, you know, the Bible's agreeing with that. Yes, this is it. And then, of course, when the whole Galileo thing happened, that was right in the middle of the Reformation. The church was already feeling like they were losing their authority. And, uh, you know, no doubt they, si they tried to silence him. Yeah. But, you know, Galileo was a Bible-believing Christian. And... And he was really more than challenging some kind of literalist interpretation. He was challenging the dominant philosophy of the day, which was Aristotelianism. And, and so there was a little bit more going on there than just the church saying, oh, the Bible says it, that settles it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, humbly, absolutely. There have been things I've changed my position on. And I think that when we approach the Bible, one thing we haven't done a good job of, especially in modern times, as churches seem to have moved more into a, uh, you know, sermon series on that aren't really just straight Bible teaching. Yeah. That we've lost the art of reading the Bible. We've lost the art of recognizing that we have all these books written over, you know, over a thousand years that all fit together some way, but they're different genres. There's history, but there's, there's, his, you know, Deuteronomical history. There's uh, parables in there. There's poetry. There's wisdom literature. And we have to be humble enough to go, okay, what's the genre here? What, what, are, what were they communicating? How did the readers, the first readers, interpret this? And, and then we apply it from there. I think there's a lot of illiteracy going on with like biblical illiteracy, where I, I had a pastor, a progressive pastor, say he brought up something in Ecclesiastes. And I said, well, this is, this is poetic. This is poetic language. And he said, well, how do you know Paul wasn't using poetic language? And I was thinking, well, I mean, you know, you can go yeah. study literature <laughs> to know right. that, you know. And so, um, yeah, so I agree with you. We need to read it humbly. But um, I do think there are, there is a line on certain things that we can't start, you know, budging because culture has moved in a certain way. Right. Because the answer is always the gospel. The answer for life, for hope, he's a God of hope. And what he's written is not death, it's life to people. And I, I really believe that with all my heart. Well, so um, even something as detailed as, I mean, we, we definitely know that as, as translations were written over year after year after year, I mean, there's definitely times when someone would write something in the margin as a note, and then that mm -hmm. would get later written down. Right. So that could have been what happened in the end of Mark 16, for instance. So I actually believe that is what happened at the end. I, I, I hold that the long ending of Mark really shouldn't be in there. And, and I think this is, again, 
why everybody needs to educate themselves on textual criticism. I mean, we have textual variants in, and I've written a blog post on this about the three most important ones that I think every Christian needs to know about. Right. Um, uh, the good news about the textual variants, though, is we know what they are. And that's the good news. And, and less than 1% of the entire New Testament contains ver uh, is, is meaningful variants in the sense that it actually would change what the text means. And in that 1%, there's not one core doctrine that's affected by, by what's in the, the parts that the scholars still aren't sure about. I, under, I understand that, but, but you, would, would you lend some credibility to someone that would say, and I would probably be one of them, is like, well, wait a second, we just put this authoritative, infallible word on the judgment seat because we said that was had to have been added later. Why couldn't someone say, oh, the stuff about women speaking at church? Well, that's a bad example because that was probably directed towards a specific church. So, you know, oh, every time it mentions homosexuality or mm -hmm. gluttony that was just added you know it's just right. like well, it's because we know what they are we know what the variants are we have over 5,000 manuscripts close to 6,000 at this point of the New Testament so we know we know exactly which verses contain variants and it's like 99.5 percent of the New Testament is is textually pure, where we know exactly what it says. Now, the 0.5% in question, we know what it is, and nothing in that 0.5% affects any core doctrine or homosexuality or anything like that. So we so, know what they are. It's not like we're wondering, oh, is this supposed to be in there and this not? Right. You know, this is textual criticism. So you would say then that almost all the Bible is authoritative and uh, infallible? I would not consider that 0.5% to, I would not use any verse in that 0.5% to form doctrine, right? Uh, and I would not consider it authoritative until scholars knew for sure which you know which which wording. But I mean, we're talking about. Let me just give you an example of what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about like a variant like this, where, uh, and you can read my blog post on what I think are the three most important ones. It's yeah. it's down a bit on there, but. Um, the, the vast majority of the 0.5% are things like this. When Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of, uh, or not Jesus, I'm sorry, the, uh, the disciples, they couldn't cast demons out of the guy. So they come to Jesus and they say, you know, we tried and it didn't work. And Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer and yeah, fasting. fasting. Yep. Well, some Bibles say this kind only comes out by prayer. Right. And other Bibles say this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's actually a variant. We aren't actually sure which wording is authentic. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is in any study Bible, virtually any study Bible, it will be footnoted and you can go down and it will say like this, you know, the, the and fasting part wasn't in this manuscript tradition, but it was in this manuscript tradition. So, um, you know, should we pray and fast? Well, it's not going to be bad to fast, right. but nothing about that is going to affect my Christianity in the sense of the core of what saves me, what I can know about God and, and know about who he is. Yeah. Is is there any other mentions, and I'm really asking this because I don't mm -hmm. know, is there any other gospel that talks about drinking deadly poison and it not hurting you outside of Mark 16? You know, I'm not sure. I don't... Because that's think, a big one yeah, right there, because yeah, if someone yeah. drinks that poison... <laughs> no, I know. Um, I'll, They're you'll dead. Have to read, you'll have to read my blog post on this, because, you know, I... I uh, 
Now there are, there's so much, I love textual criticism. That's actually my, the, the area of study that excites me the most. And it's like, right. I'm such a nerd with it. I just, I read all the books and I listen to all the lectures and all this, but um, I, I'm just, it's just something that I really love to study. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm pretty sure that, you know, it's talking about taking up snakes and, and all this, that, that whole long ending of Mark is something that was added later. There's actually a book you can get on Amazon where there's two really, um, uh, renowned scholars in this area that take each take a position on if it should be in or out and they kind of debate with each other on it. Right. And I can send you that link if I, and I can find it and send you that link, which is just an interesting thing. But I would say to hold the 0.5% humbly. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't argue doctrine from the 0.5%, but, but like I said, the most important thing to remember is it's not like we don't know what they are. It's not like we're reading the scripture and going, gosh, I hope that's really in there. Right. You know, textual critics, they know which variants are there. Yeah, I understand. So I'll, I'll wrap this up here, and, and I'm not trying to, to, to be a jerk or anything. Like, do you, do you see me as someone that, from very, very limited knowledge, I mean, we just had one conversation, but, but from what you've gathered with me, could you see me as someone that you could uh, seek the Lord in community with and um, have fellowship with, or do you see me as, because I, I, that, that's the thing is, at least how your article was written, and I am a pastor, I'm like, wow. I, and and I was and I wasn't offended. I'm not saying that I was offended, but I was just like, dang, that's so crazy. People see me, and people see like bad Christian podcasts as. I mean, I, I know it's been said before. Oh, the the you know, there's a lot of people trying to make Christianity cool and relevant, and you know, they're just basically muddying the waters and making things wishy washy. And it's like, wow. Like that's mm -hmm. the opposite of what we feel like, but I guess that's the category that we're put in. But I think your definition of lowered view of the Bible, I have a lowered view of the Bible. I think how I do interpret feelings and put a big importance on them, you may see that as emphasizing over facts. You know, I don't. Mm -hmm. And then essential Christian doctrines, obviously you and I have a different set of essentials. I think my list is probably a lot shorter than yours. And then, you know, hardly you may be surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, but anyway, I mean, it, it, do you see me as kind of like a, a danger? And be honest, I don't mind if you if I'm dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolutely uh, tough question. Uh, <laughs> well, I would have to say first, so okay, so so you are my brother in Christ, right? Okay. okay. Um, now, as far as you know, you. You have to understand that when you're choosing a church, you're choosing a pastor. Right. I mean, my kids are going to grow up there. Totally. I want to make sure that what they're being taught is is what I believe. Right. You know, and I think everybody, even progressives, are going to say that they're not going to go to a you know ultra conservative church and be like, yeah, let's just you know. So I think every. So I I would have to talk to you some more. Yeah. yeah. Probably, but but uh, I and as far as community fellowship, absolutely, you're my brother. Um, but as far as like going, I'm going to probably choose a community that is more like-minded as Absolutely. I'm sure you would. No, 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 no totally. Know. I get that. So, yeah. That was so my main question. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not by any means asking if, if you would ever consider me a uh, pastor, like, and go to that right. church. My main thing is, do you see us as brothers and sisters and people that could fellowship together? Yeah, I absolutely see you as yeah. my brother. Yeah. yeah, word up, word up. Well, this has been good. Your I wife think may I not think... see me as a sister, but we'll see. No, for sure, for <laughs> sure. No, I, I sure definitely. We'll I I, th I think that uh, I I think my wife would agree with me when I say this that I have been given 
I'll, I'll go so far as to say a gift because I feel like I have a very, I think I have a very conservative heart, but a very liberal mind. And I've been seeking the Lord with this mind. And I feel like he is walking me through this stuff. Now, I understand that some people can say, hey, you can be deceived. I agree. I definitely Mm -hmm. can be deceived. But right now I'm convinced that God has taken me on this journey. But I do feel like, uh, and, and this makes it sound like I'm superior than you. And I don't mean this way at all. I feel like I definitely have a very deep understanding of where you're coming from. And, uh, and, and and like I said, I'm not insinuating that you're wrong, but I understand where you're coming from. No, sure, you could sure. be right or wrong. One thing I know, I get where you're coming from. I just, I'm not thinking like that right now, you know? Sure. So hopefully uh, maybe, maybe that helps me be a, a bridge to two different communities of, of Christian thought. I don't know, but both, both of us love Jesus. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So Yeah. And we can pray for each other. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, good talking to you. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, Alyssa, it was quite a pleasure talking to you. And uh, folks can check her out at AlyssaChilders.com, especially if you want to read that article that we've been talking about in a couple of episodes. Matt, what do you think, man? Someone that doesn't really like people and has very little emotions. That's true. You do. Forget about that. I like people. I like things being interesting, and I think your interviews are very interesting, and I prefer you, I prefer your character in a one-on-one interview than I do, and I would say the same probably about <laughs> me and Toby, too, but I prefer your one-on-one interviews to, you know, everybody getting a comment in edgewise with the three of us interviewing somebody in short form. I like the long form, and I, I think your method is it just makes a lot of sense. I think it, it's just a very even-handed type of thing. And I, again, I just want I just hope people get stuff out of hearing ideas discussed civilly. I like it. It's good. Yeah, it really is funny how people that listen to podcasts they do not stop and think. Okay, three people, three different locations, all of them that they probably have stuff that they're excited to bring up. And then they heckle us for interrupting Or folks. Skype delays. I mean, that, yeah, that, that makes interrupting. Like, first of all, here's the thing about that. And I get comments about it. And if you've ever been around me in person, you will find I interrupt everybody all the time. Yes, I know that. I've been told that since I was about five. But I'm not, it's not as bad as it sounds on air. And there's a couple of reasons why. One is the Skype. De- so the Skype delay, first of all, makes you have to interrupt. It forces you to have to interrupt because the other person is left on the hook going, I guess I need to keep talk and you'll hear them you'll hear their wheels spinning like they got to keep talking you know if nobody interrupts you you'll just drone on forever that's the way it is so there's some amount of that where it must happen and the other part is yeah you just have a lot of stuff you want to say or you're afraid it's going to go somewhere you don't want to go or you're afraid toby's going to do something different and i am actively working on so i do apologize i'll take the note that i interrupt too much that's true (laughs) so i'm going to be actively working on listening for the next i don't know rest of my life i suppose because i get i get it but not really delays is part of it uh, anyway, I enjoy the one-on-one vibe very much. Hope other people do. Now, speaking of Toby being on vacation, uh, we just did a BC Club episode, Joey and I did, where we just talked about Toby. I think everybody would get a kick out of that one. 
Uh, we were just discussing what he's like, how we met him, what his real flaws, if you really hang around him, what are his real flaws? And there are many, and we discuss it in, in great detail in the BC Club episode. So the only way to get those episodes is to join the BC Club, obviously. We put out an episode every single week that's much less filtered and more, way more casual than even these episodes are. And you can get those by going to thebcclub.com and just sign up, join, support this podcast. If you've listened enough to, you know, you know, if you're a poor person or a first-time listener, don't worry about it. But if you're getting a lot of this podcast, I suggest you would enjoy. You're a good candidate for enjoying uh, being part of our community, joining our Facebook group, getting the bonus content, and feel good about supporting something financially. Be, you probably could be giving up a latte a month or, or a couple lattes Seriously, a month. It's not a, I mean, selfish people. And again, I, I'm, I'm not making fun of poor people. If if you if if something in in that neighborhood would affect your finances at all, please do not do it. I, I, no, no issue there. Matt, so. it's called economically challenged. Right. It's not you poor it. people anymore. Right. Okay. Hey, well, do you guys have a friend that makes your top three most caring friends list and your top three biggest assholes list? Well, we do, and that's Toby Morrell. Yes, that episode is a must hear. If you listen to Bad Christian, you're not in the BC Club, you're missing out, and that's on you. And there will be a price to pay. It's called the White Throne. And these people are going to be good to go on that White Throne judgment because they have joined the BC Club by going to thebcclub.com. And that's D. Blake, Melissa Sergis, Daniel J. Smolt, Noah Germansund. John R. Flynn, James Brittenham, and Craig Robertson. We really do appreciate it. Yep. Many other perks and stuff on there. Don't forget, Emory's got tour dates coming up later in July. We're going down the West Coast. And then we'll have some dates going through Texas after that. It's all on our website, emorymusic.com. That's our other side gig, mine and Toby's. That's the side gig to this main gig, by the way. I've, I've officially put that in my head that way. Awesome. Emory's awesome. side gig. All right, everybody have a good week. If you're out on vacation, enjoy it. We'll talk to you all next week or later this all week. All right. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.